0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthew.3cr.org.au.
1: To this week's edition of the Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio show from Monday the twenty-second of May 2023. We're proud to acknowledge the Uranji people, the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which we transmit people-powered radio. Thank you to Democracy Now for the last hour of current affairs. My name's Chris, and Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio. We're a show about bicycles, bikes, cycling, urban mobility mobility, getting around without a combustion engine and uh, urban space and all those things that come together with, uh, yeah, the act of riding a bike and or the planning around there for riding a bike. Now on today's show, I'm going to be chatting to Julie from Port Phillip Bicycle User Group and uh, we're going to have a bit of a chat about the Shrine to Sea project which is a planned project that uh, runs from, well, from the Shrine all the way down Kerford Road, or parts there in between, and down to the sea, and uh, some issues around it, and why you should be interested and or concerned about what is, uh, you know, with the project going ahead. Because, you know, (laughs) you've been down to Kerford Road. It's incredibly wide. It's one of the widest medians I've ever seen. And there's a bit in the interview where I'm talking about some industrial space. And I think well, I think I've uh, I didn't really explain myself. And I probably explained myself pre the interview, which is I was talking about a little bit further up on Port Melbourne before, like, some you know, something on uh, Princess Pier and all that was redeveloped for light rail and some of the things around, you know, the St Kilda light rail. Because I saw that a long, long time ago and it uh, looked completely different to what we have now. So, yeah, if that sounds a little curious in the interview, that's what I was talking about. Just one moment, I've got to do a very important cough. Fantastic, I hope you didn't hear that. So, yeah, we're talking about trying to see, and something that uh, of interest, you would know that it's Radiothon time coming soon, and we've got a Radiothon Give Now uh, fundraiser page up. It's on givenow.com.au forward slash CR forward slash Yarra Bug Radio Show. And we've got a target of $1,300 to make, which goes towards the total target of... four over... Looks around, looks around. 275000 that 3CR I've got to make to stay on here. And I'd say we're about three weeks out from having a Radiothon show, and we've already got 10% of our target. So thank you. And I know things are... Very economically rough out there for people, but please donate to your favourite 3CR program or donate to the station and uh, ensure that radio, Radical Radio stays on air. It is important in this these day and age of, uh, well, just well, you were just listening to the last program, Democracy Now!, about how easy, or relatively easy, it will become to... Imitate or uh, you know confuse with some versions or some things of AI. I mean, I've I've used Chat GPT for a couple of things, and I will admit I'm not particularly impressed. Uh, with you know, it's it reminds me of it reminds me of a couple of older chatbot programs and stuff. It uh, it it has its merits, but I'm not particularly impressed. But anyway, back onto cycling instead of AI. And There's a good article came out from the Climate Council uh, just recently about trips on public transport, walking and riding must triple to see genuine transport emissions reduce. Uh, from This is from the Climate Council. Well, actually, no, it's come out today, so here we go. Uh, Australia can reduce transport emissions by up to 75% by the end of this decade, with a massive shift to electrified public transport, walking and bike riding, a new Climate Council research shows. And they have a new report out called Shifting Gears, The Path to Cleaner Personal Transport, reveals how to get there. Daily trips on electric public transport would need to increase by three and a half times. Similarly, daily journeys made on bike or on foot would need to triple. And uh, you you would know, many of us would know, that transport is the biggest source of Australia's greenhouse gas emissions after energy with cars and light commercial vehicles, alone making up for two-thirds, or 62%, of transport pollution. And uh, it's interesting to bring that into sharp contrast with what I know is going on around uh, local councils with their budgets. Beck Council, Derriban Council... Not so much Yarra Council, they've done a very pragmatic um, draft budget, but uh, City of Melbourne have uh, restarted their bicycle lane implementation and the like, but uh, Mary Beck and Derebin have really, really, really uh, doing some weird stuff. I mean, okay, we're in the deficit kind of thing after COVID and, uh, you know, restrictions and economic sort of stuff is coming into play. But uh, i was looking through some of the stuff, aren't even reporting properly on some of the previous stuff, like streets for people. Many people put in input for this going back a few years, and it just seems to evaporate it. Marybick, as you, if you're a Marybick Bicycle User Group, have been doing a very strong campaign on... Well, they've got no budget allocation for really anything more than a couple of hundred metres worth of bike lanes in the next uh, couple of years, and it's ridiculous, given the area's use of micro mobility and cycling. And with Yarra as trying to do their level best with the pragmatic budget uh, thing, they've got you know, with a strategic uh, transport budget, I was only looking at it as a line item. there is a modest lift there in the budget allocation. But somewhere where federal and state government have got to come and help at that level of government, because, you know, it is roads, it is traffic infrastructure, and uh, we've got to have a lot more integrated approach to how we approach transport in our cities and towns. Because, you know, a lot of councils have done you know, a climate emergency sort of stance on the other hand, a lot of them have no idea or are being ignorant of what they can actually uh, deliver for their residents and ratepayers. And the state government again, you probably see there's a little bit of a probably horror budget coming up for the state uh, budget. Uh, yeah, okay, we got you know we got the the fallout after COVID. But if we're going to reach targets and we're going to actually heat um, targets instead of just you know, letting the climate emergency and the like, just you know, bowl on before us and uh, let future generations deal with it. Uh, there's got to be some um, less, less kind of a, a, a less, uh, how can I be Not a business as normal approach. We can't have it because you know, everyone yeah, else is going to pay for this. Other than us. We can, can complain that oh, it's cold at the moment, but you've got to remember okay, we're in the middle of, getting into the middle of a uh, Melbourne winter. Weather is not climate. We're actually seeing some predictive models at the moment for a lot of early Nino, and uh, it's looking diabolical. Anyway, back on to happier stuff. After the break, I'm going to be chatting to Julie from Port Phillip Bug about the Shrine to Sea project.
0: Are you feeling depressed about
1: the future of our planet? The Eco-Socialism 2023 conference could address your worries by providing a platform for radical solutions. Activists from around the world examine the links between the ecological, economic and political crises of our time. You'll hear from Japanese Marxist Kohei Saito, author of Capital in the Anthropocene, who argues that capitalism's pursuit of unlimited growth and profits is the major barrier to ecological sustainability. Inspirational speakers from the Asia-Pacific region, including India, Pakistan and the Philippines, will take up the fight for climate justice and against war and fascism eco-socialism also highlights women's and queer oppression first Nations sovereignty and so much more including a session featuring former refugee Baruz Bachani. for more information and bookings go to our website ecosocialism.org.au eco-socialism 2023 a world beyond capitalism saturday july 1 to sunday july 2 at victorian
0: trades hall a 3cr supporter
1: Today on Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio, I'm catching up with Julie from Port Phillip Bicycle User Group and today we're going to be discussing something that's been going on, well a project, it's a state government project that's been going on for quite a long period of time. Julie, do you want to have a chat about the Shrine to See project?
0: Good morning Chris. So the Shrine to Sea project has been going on for about five years. So in 2018, the state government announced the project with a package of funding. I think it was $13 million. And this was supposed to be upgrading the boulevard that goes between the new Anzac station along Albert Road, alongside Albert Park, um, down Kerford Road to the sea. and The objectives of the project were to improve walking and cycling connections, to make it safer for people using active transport, walking and cycling, and also to really bring a bit of a landscape focus to this because this corridor is massively wide and it's just in the middle, there's this really wide median, which at the moment is grass and some plain trees and so the idea was to really upgrade that with native vegetation and some more interesting landscaping, a bit more biodiversity and really make it an enjoyable place for people to go and hang out rather than just a a vehicle route. Because I can remember,
1: uh, oh, would have been what, 33 years ago for that, going down to that area and it was like the industrial back end and the area in that base side that kind of inner upper bayside side bit has changed so much this shrine to see sounds like it'd be like a jewel if it state government and councils work on its com- completion similar to the mallop street green spine in geelong it brings kind of like a vibrancy to, to that part of an area which was, you know, previously industrial, previously very urban, very car-based, just lots of hard surfaces. And then you have this beautiful
0: lush elements. Today it's a long way from anything industrial. I mean, that's... Oh, it is, it is. Yeah. yeah. That's probably, you know, some of the most expensive real estate in the city. But Mm -hmm. you're right that there is the streets in this area because it was designed... At the time it was designed, the idea was to have really wide roads for sort of health reasons. And some of these roads are massively over-engineered for the amount of traffic they're taking. Mm. Um, there's just like really broad expanses of asphalt, which we could be using for the benefit of the whole community.
1: Oh, that area, Port Phillips, South Melbourne, getting into further down, it's pretty amazing. Because that was all kind of a bit swampish, wasn't it? If you go back on the, oh, I'm thinking wrong area.
0: No, no, no. You're absolutely correct. So, Albert Park was originally a swamp. So, there's really extensive um, Indigenous heritage around the usage of Albert Park. It was a massive food source for people, um, particularly the at Willem clan. And then going all the way into Elwood, there was sort of more swamps that have now been filled in. Yeah, because um, that's like
1: into some, Paran as well as a swamp. And it was, we just kind of like the, you know, the colonials that came in later, don't view these things very well. We see them as like wasteland and it's got to be destroyed and you know done something else to. which is part of what happened with Gurford Road because it's an incredibly wide space. And is there any reason for that green medium being so wide? Is there like utilities under there or was it just the way it was constructed, like drainage
0: space is, or something? Actually, that's a great question. I don't oh. know why, what the thinking was there when they put that. I think it was a bit of a a boulevard that made a connection but I actually don't know that history and that would be really interesting to Mm. find out. With the Shrine to
1: Sea it starts up what you're kind of looking at this Shrine of Remembrance. What's the plan here with this kind of like boulevard to the sea? Can you just kind of give us a bit of a running
0: visual of what you would see when it's completed? Well we haven't seen the the plans yet but the early sort of perspective prospectus of it was that there were going to be a separated bike path or a, maybe a little bit of a shared path, we don't know that that yet, mm. but a separated bike path going all the way down from that shrine, which is, will also be the, the location of the new Anzac station. Yeah, And heading all the way down past Albert Park. So if you start at the station on your left, you've got the edge of Albert Park and there's extensive service roads and funny little car parks that go along Elbert Road there, and that's a state-controlled road. And then as you go past the ovals and MSAC, which is the um the swim centre, you go under the light rail, mm-hmm. and there's a pretty nasty pinch point for cyclists under that light rail, and then you go into Kerford Road, and Kerford Road is a really wide corridor again with, with this median and extensive angle parking. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am on digital and online, 3CR Radical Radio. I tend to brood when I'm out on my bike. It's a different mood. I leave my brain at home. Get up on the saddle, no hanging around, I don't I work my legs, I pump my thighs, the scenery. The preliminary idea, as I understand it, was that that would go from two traffic lanes down to one traffic lane. That was supported by traffic modelling that even though this is really wide, the actual volume of traffic on there isn't actually that great. And you'd Maintain most of that parking, which is the residents are really keen on, but move it in one lane and then have a curbside bike lane on the sides of that. And that would be usable by bikes, by scooters and other micro mobility users there. Because
1: you've got two oh, lanes per side of the median. I just want to point that out. Exactly. And you've got parking. So exactly. Compared to some of the stuff we have in the inner suburbs, that's incredibly wide. <laughs>
0: There's an amazing amount of space here. And mm-hmm. if you can't put a bike lane in this location where you've not only got space, you've got low volumes and you've got this real need, like it's a missing link between the the bay and the St Kilda Road bike lanes.
1: So it starts up at Domain Gardens and comes all the way down.
0: That's right. That's uh, right. Yep. And what I've been really heartened by is the amount of support this has got, not just from, you know, bicycle user groups, like we are, Mm. but also from disability groups, people like Vision Australia have come out in support of separated bike lanes because not so much because their stakeholders want to be riding bikes, although some of them would, but because they want to see scooters off the footpaths and they can see that the reason why scooters are on the footpaths is because it's not safe for them on the roads. So if we can put a safe um, lane in there for them, then that improves the experience for everyone. And that's also echoed by groups like Victoria Walks who are particularly concerned about older pedestrians. And so we really have, like, benefits for for many people across the community. Mm.
1: Um, so the actual project, it's in train, but I was just looking at the project page, or, well, you know, if, um, Engage, whatever, we'll put these into the podcast description. Slated to be con- uh, finished? 2025 20, 20, So that's pretty fast. Is there, is there a problem with actually getting this done? Because I noticed you put out a media release in the last fortnight, and you've got you know, an incredible amount of community groups have come in to support. But what's what's the problem? Can you just get to the issue of why there may be opposition to this um, overall
0: plan for the Shrine to see? There was a community panel convened as part of this process when they got 24 people from across the community, so people who worked and lived in the area, and through 2021, in the COVID times, they met and really went through a big deliberative process about what would be possible. They heard from the experts, thought about, you know, what they valued as a community. And so they came up with some recommendations and their recommendations were for a separated bike lane and also improved walking access, as well as a number of really great um, recommendations on biodiversity and landscaping naturally when people don't agree with the consult the outcome of consultation, then they arc up and say, oh that actually wasn't a valid valid consultation so as I understand it, there's a group of local residents who don't want to see the bike lane go in. It's a little bit difficult to actually understand what their specific problems are with it because I've been to quite a few meetings and sometimes, you know, you'll have one person say, we don't need this bike lane because there's no cyclists on this road. And the next person will say, if you put a bike lane in here, there'll be so many cyclists using it that we won't be able to cross the road. So there's not really a sense of serious engagement with what the traffic transport planners are telling us what would happen and what we can expect. I think perhaps the clearest statement of the opposition to this project is came out last year from the self-appointed spokesman of this group. And at the transport meeting before the election, he said, you have to remember that this isn't your road, it's our road. And really saying that what well, this small group of residents see that only the residents should be making the decision on this road. And all the other users, the people who go to the schools on this road, the people who are using Albert Park for sports, the people from all over Melbourne who could access the beach so easily using this road, those people shouldn't have a say in it. Fascinating. Um, yeah, so so I think it's really important for us to stand up for what the community panels recommended and and stand by the work that these people did from community groups and businesses and really sat down over over many meetings and really engaged with with the brief and came up with this recommendation. ACR's annual Radiathon fundraiser launches in June. We need your financial support to be independent, community controlled and focused on people rather than profits.
1: People's criticism and viewpoints are heard, but I think to just quickly touch base with some broader issues, there's stuff going on with local councils around Victoria and around Melbourne and around Australia where people are losing perspective. Okay, you've got a viewpoint. Good, I'm going to hear you, but it shouldn't be to the detriment of a whole broader voice. And I'm trying to be as diplomatic about this as I can and as neutral as I can. And it sounds like similar thing is propped up in some inner city councils and like we want this for residents only we don't care whether there's been other regulatory authorities it doesn't matter if other uh, community groups or residents and or all the actual uh, land managers which are the state government we don't care
0: people who live on the road their perspective is really important but it's yes. just one of the perspectives that it we is need one to, of many management mm. and even though I really want to focus on the positives and how oh, yeah, amazing yeah. it would be to to ride along this boulevard safely, the negative side of it is this is the second most dangerous stretch in the council area. There was been about over twenty serious accidents in a five year study period. Even if those people who were seriously injured, not just cyclists but also pedestrians and people driving, mm. even if they don't live on the road, they're really important. We need to think about making it safe for, for everyone there. Well,
1: it's got to be a broader focus than a narrower focus. You know, we've had this very considered measured approach where there's been a broad amount of voices brought into this. And I just want to bring something back to this. It's like with your media release, which we've had a, a lot of community groups and residents involved with it, but something that really stood out to I me, mean, it's not because it's in bold either, but it's, something, it's reason, the reason why shows like this exist and you and I do the things we do from Bicycle Network. Bicycle transport is no longer discretionary. And I think this is something that critics of bike lanes tend to do. Like They see, still see the act of riding a bike as you're not quite adult enough. Why don't you get a car? I know that's very, very basic terms, but we're still dealing with that sort of mentality. And I think sometimes we've got to remind ourselves, stop being on the back foot. We demand to be here. This whole project trying to see
0: part of the component is a bike lane and it should remain. I was down in the area a month or so ago at around about just before nine o'clock, and I was so heartened by seeing so many kids going to Albert Park College riding their bikes. Yep. It was just fabulous. Um, there's some some really nice separated lanes, particularly around Garden City, sort of shared paths, I guess they are. And yeah, just just the number of kids who are independently with their mates, chit chatting, you know, a bit of dawdling, a bit of stunt riding. And it just really filled my heart with with joy. Um, because that's that's the way I grew up too, being able to ride my bike to school. And those kids aren't wearing lycra, they're wearing their school uniforms and that's the kind of cyclist that we need to be encouraging.
1: I think we're dealing with sometimes people's critical perception of things might be really narrow. And as given back to the residents, thing is perspective is is important. But when it's a part of a very big city of almost five million people, we've got to take other broader concerns into focus and other generational things. There's going to be other people coming in who use this space after us. And, and people who build cities, people who do things, always looked for look towards future use future generations it's not the immediate use right now
0: and part of that conversation here always has to be about climate change because we can't just rely on evs or doing one or two things that's going to save us we really need to be throwing everything we've got urgently at this problem and for people in port phillip i mean I, i i'm kind of hesitant to say this because i know that the effects of climate change are expect to be catastrophic all around the world. But if we can just appeal to the people who are living here in Port Phillip, this is a place where we get floods regularly and we're going to be affected by sea level rises. This should be salient to, at least to the residents who are right in that area.
1: Well, you're just saying um, students down there uh, are are utilising the area the way that they want to, so why can't they continue to do it more safely? Appeal to a broader Long-term focus instead of a personal interest. Get up
0: in your get along, get along, get along
1: tomorrow, get You're listening to 855 AM
0: get along, get along, get
1: along, get along. okay Julie, how can people help with this the Shrine project?
0: So our local member, Nina Taylor, has been um, pretty ambivalent about the process. She She's sort of on paper, she's supporting it, but we're expecting state government to present plans to council that don't include the bike lane. So if you can write to Nina Taylor, that would be fantastic. The other thing you can do is write to the council because we think that that's where the real blockage is yep. um, here, particularly the mayor, Heather Consolo, she's prepared to talk the talk on cycling, but I think she really needs to be making decisions that support cycling.
1: And I think uh, your local member needs to be reminded of the strong stance that Lisa Melville, the the MP, she subsequently resigned for other reasons, but uh, she was MP in the Geelong area. Her strong stand in supporting the Green Spine from Allop Street. And standing up to the council, you will build this. It's what the community wants. It's what we've funded. It's what the consultation and feedback has said we'll do. And now people just love it. It's the crowning jewel of that area. It's no, you know, and sometimes we've got to get past some of these, like, you know, little bits of nervousness or, you know, almost like analysis paralysis and build these things for a better future. (laughs) Why not?
0: Yeah, and there's there's always an issue that it's hard to imagine some change for the better. Like people can easily see problems like, okay, how are we going to cross the road? Where are our bins going to go? Is this all going to work? Mm. But the great thing about this project is we've got a beautiful example, which is St Kilda Road lanes, and they're really popular and people oh, love them. Can't
1: wait till they see those
0: finished. And they're a lot more complicated project. I mean, on St Kilda Road, you've got the trams, you've got a whole lot of office buildings and driveways on Kerford Road, there's very, very few driveways and really not that intensity of uses that had to be negotiated on St Kilda Road. So, yeah. So, so when you're enjoying riding down St Kilda Road and and thanking the state government for actually finally putting those in, Mm. just remind them that they could keep on doing it. They don't need to stop there.
1: It it, it comes into, uh, uh, I know this is, you know, a bit of a, bit of a cliche, but why can't we have nice things?
0: Why not indeed?
1: I like nice things. There should be more of them. There's enough bitterness and division and polarisation. Let's have nice things. Mm. And I've got a bit, I, I absolutely love your media release. You've got the Heart Foundation, Victoria Walks, Port Phillip Emergency Climate Action Network, Bicycle Network, yourselves, the Port Phillip Bicycle Users Group, Disability Resource Centre. Better streets for Victoria and Australia and the Port Phillip Eco Center and Port Phillip Baykeeper, who do those two those two organizations do incredible work.
0: And so the baykeeper can see that, you know, at the moment, when you go down to Port Melbourne Beach or Albert Park Beach and those Bayside Beaches, there's not a lot of parking down there. And so having really great cycle access from A train station is just a way we can open up those beaches to more people from all over Melbourne and give them access to the sea.
1: Especially, yeah, because when is is Metro slated to open? I think it's 2025. Well, this is perfect. Let's have nice Mm -hmm. things. Again, we'll put into the podcast description and some stuff from Port Phillip Bug, but how to contact the local MP and um, also how to contact your Port Phillip Council.
0: And there's one other final thing that people can do is we're hoping to bring critical mass down there in June. So if you want to check out what an awesome boulevard is, this is and how it could be even better, then come along on Critical Mass with us.
1: I think Critical Mass went down there sometime in the early 80s. I remember being on a phenomenally wide road and I'm pretty sure it was Kerford. Mm. Yeah, so do it. So, But this Friday, we should say, there's a Critical Mass coming up. Do you, do you want to have a quick chat to that?
0: Sure. If sure. Want to I'll see, be there. See, what,
1: see what it's like to be on a street where you feel
0: safe, you're with all your mates. So what we've been talking about is sort of the nitty-gritty about lobbying and plans and stuff, but Critical Mass is just about joy and getting out there and having fun and being with a big mob of people who can, you know, be part of your experience. It's It's a party on wheels. And that's going to be with Exa,
1: Extinction Rebellion. They're doing their climate emergency one. So I think it's going to be like a bit of a thing around the city, this, this one. That's right. CBD oh, one. On. There's enough kind of reductivism and, you know, polarization and little people kind of in little bubbles. Let's open it up and be
0: a bit more joyful. Let's have nice things. Come and join us on Kerford Road and think about how much better it could be.